I love it. If you haven't picked it up, then listen on the podcast because Daniel talks about the story of Jesus like an action film, which I think is fantastic. So what action film, I just want you to call them out, what action film can you think of that like starts with an adrenaline jump and goes and goes and goes? What's your, what's your action film that you can think of that like starts off and goes? Let's see. Oh, Yes. Oh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, good one. That's my era. I like it. Casino Royale. Don't do that. I know. Casino Royale. That's fine. We'll leave it. We'll leave it. Uh, Anyone else? Action film that really starts out with a bang. I was thinking the Mission Impossible ones. Just the music. I don't know. Makes me tense. Dun, dun. Okay. Anyone else? All right. Well, Jesus does give us this picture of Jesus that is all action and at times quite provocative. Jesus, right off the bat, man, right off the bat, he heals people and the wild man, John the Baptist, tells the crowds about one who is to come. Um, God himself somehow speaks from heaven at Jesus' baptism. Jesus is tempted by Satan. Uh, He wields power over demons. Jesus is breaking the rules. He eats at the wrong time and with the wrong people, and he's doing the thing that people in charge are really upset with. And then, as Daniel shared with us last week in Mark chapter 3, Jesus picks his 12 closest followers who are, again, unexpected and a bit provocative. So throughout this, Jesus speaks uh, and teaches his followers in something we call parables. So a parable is a simple story which is used to illustrate a spiritual lesson or a truth. And sometimes we say they're earthly stories with heavenly meanings. On one hand, Jesus' parables use everyday things. Uh, Often in in their uh, times, it was agriculture or farming, sometimes just things about everyday life. So these are things that his audience would relate to. But Jesus' parables are not always as plain as one might expect. Sometimes Jesus did not tell parables to make everything clear, but rather he wants to provoke the imagination, uh, to invite people to see what God is doing in the world from a new perspective. Now, many of Jesus' followers or the Jewish people following God at the time had quite firm ideas about what was expected. They had quite firm ideas about what it was to follow God, what the rules were, who was in and who was out. And Jesus' parables tells the listeners something about himself and something about his mission to announce the kingdom of God arriving on earth as it is in heaven, sometimes with a challenge or an unexpected truth. So the kingdom of God is where God is in the place of governing or ruling, where God is ruling as a king should rightly rule. And it's where the people who recognize God's rule, are following him and living under that. It is where we experience the fullness 
of God and life with God now as it will ultimately be in heaven when God has renewed and restored all things, which is where we're going. It's where we're all headed. So as we look at this chapter, we also have an opportunity to encounter that provocative and powerful Jesus. Here today, we can personally engage with the person of Jesus in his very real presence in the spirit, the spirit who is available to speak, uh, to engage our emotions and our mind, our behaviors and our circumstances. And I just wanna start with putting it out there as Jesus talks about at the beginning of Mark chapter four. So if you would just close your eyes um, and we're gonna ask for spirit to speak to us today. God, we invite you, as it says in Mark chapter 4, to help us to look and perceive, to listen and seek to understand, to turn back and be forgiven. Help us have ears which really hear. Amen. All right, so I was struck in Mark chapter 4 at some glimpses of the kingdom from two different sides of the same coin, really. And that's what we're going to consider. I want us to look at the kingdom from two different aspects in his uh, very short parables. To get into the swing of things, I would like you to turn to a few of your closest neighbors. And I would like you to cast your minds back to GCSE biology. Now, some of you might be going, ooh, yeah, okay, okay. Others, you may be like, you know, small gag. But um, I want you to see if we can collect our uh, pool, our collective ignorance about what we know of how a seed grows. Okay? How a seed grows. So get into some small groups, turn to two or three people near you, and just for a minute, I want you to say everything you know about a seed growing. Okay. I think it's our collective knowledge is is petering out. All right. How about a few a few bits of information? Feed it back. How does a seed grow? In soil. Great. Perfect. Okay? Good. Also, yes, Jeremy. Moisture and warmth. Okay. All right. All right. Anything else? Anybody just like love GCSE biology and remember any of that? Germination. Germination. Now we're talking. Now we are talking. That gets you a point on the exam. Fantastic. All right. So we're going to read some of our passage, and we're going to start towards the end. So I have two people who are going to read for us um, the parable of the growing seed and the parable of the mustard seed. So I'm going to bring, who has number one? Can't remember. Jesus also said, The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, 
While he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First the leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. Thanks, Sarah. Okay. Jesus said, How can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? It is like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It is the smallest of all seeds, but becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches, and birds can make nests in its shade. Super, thanks. Okay, so we have two parables there, two stories that Jesus told. And so we have some ideas, some ideas about the mechanics and the science uh, of how seeds grow. But I reckon that for most of us, it's a mystery, just like Jesus describes in his parables. Like, how does that little seed turn into anything? Um, How do seeds, and let's face it, on the whole, seeds look pretty much alike, right? How do they turn into this massive variety of things we have in the world? We have lettuce and oak trees and daffodils and thorn bushes. And how does that tiny mustard seed grow into something ginormous, right? And what does that tell us about the kingdom of God? How can we understand the life and the power of living in God's rule as people who follow in God's ways. I think there's one aspect that Jesus talks about here which helps us understand the kingdom as something hidden and out of our control. Because God's kingdom is just that. It is God's kingdom. And life in God's kingdom is powered by God. God the Father Jesus, uh, who is God, and God the Spirit, present in the world and with us all. And life with God is done in the power of the living and creator God who formed the world and who is its rightful king. And I think Jesus is getting at like some of the mystery of the kingdom of God. How is it that a seed grows? You know, we might have more scientific knowledge than was available to Jesus' followers. Uh, But at the end of the day, how a seed is made to grow is incredible, amazing, and something of a mystery. And we get off on the wrong track a bit when we are overly focused on ourselves. When we think too highly of our own abilities to live that right life before God, when we think it is our power and our actions that transform the world. Can we see God at work in our lives and in the world? Yes. Yes, definitely we can. But what we can see of God's reality is really just the tip of the iceberg. It's really just a little bit. It's God's world and God is alive and active all the time, all around us. And I think we can take real comfort in this, that the 
the fact that it is God's world. Uh, it's a world that he loves. It's a world that he loves so much that he came in the person of Jesus to restore and to save every person and every bit of creation. It's God's world where God is present through the person of the Spirit and available to us all the time. And it's not a world that is abandoned by God, but one that God made originally and holds throughout. And it's the power of the kingdom of God that can allow us to take a big, deep breath. It's that overarching reality that brings us comfort and reminds us of God's power and care for us. It brings us back to the place of trusting God, helps us frame our lives in the bigger picture of what God is doing. It helps us remember God's destination for our lives and for the world. And so God's kingdom, where God is at work in real, powerful, unexpected, and sometimes hidden ways. So let's just close our eyes or focus for a minute and just take that in and see if that speaks to you in your life now. You might want to just take a big breath and let it go. Okay. All right. Amen. So we thought in our small groups a little bit about seeds, right? Now I'd like you to go back into your little groups and think about soil. Uh, now for any gardeners out there or maybe just watchers of gardeners world, how does one prepare or enhance soil for the garden and for growing things? And I want to give you literally 60 seconds, rattle off as many things as you can think of that have to do with preparing and enriching soil. Go. What are some things? Shout it out. Sorry? Compost. Good old manure. Or whatever. Compost of your choice. Not, not manure. Daniel said, okay. Huh? Peat-free compost. Okay. What else do we do to prepare soil? Pardon? Turn it. Aerate it. Weed it, weed it, what a concept. Oh, let it drain, very good. Anything else? Irrigation, okay, very good. So I want us now to go back to Mark chapter four and we're gonna look at the beginning of the chapter and some parable stories there that have a slightly different aspect of God's kingdom. So. We can be quite fortunate, actually, that Jesus unpacks some of his parables and does some explanation for his closest followers. And we have one of those at the beginning of Mark 4. And so, we have two more readers. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across the field, some of the seed fell upon a footpath, 
and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was thirty, sixty, and even a hundred times as much as had been planted. Then he said, Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now, fortunately, on this one, we have Jesus' explanation of this parable, and so this is our last passage. The farmer plants seeds by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message, only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on the good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produced a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Super. Round of applause for all four of our readers. So Jesus uses the illustration of the soil and the seeds to talk about how we receive the good news of the message of the kingdom of God, that Jesus is the king, the rightful ruler of the world to whom we owe our allegiance and our loyalty, who loves us and came for us, who offers us forgiveness and new life. And so the good news is like this seed, it's small and mysterious and powerful and active, and it comes into soil, comes into soil, lives of all types and circumstances. So how do these things interact? Now Jesus gives us a few examples, uh, some broad categories, I think, to how we can receive the message of the good news of God and interact with it. He says, some, they hear the message, but Satan comes away and and takes that seed. It it never roots. It doesn't take. It's not believed, and it it doesn't have any effect. It just, we might physically hear, but it bounces off of our lives. Some hear the message, and immediately they take it in. Uh, We're filled with joy. Uh, It's great news, awesome. But the message And the reality of God as king and Jesus as savior, it doesn't work its way deeply into our lives. So people don't, they don't last long in the journey of faith. Someone might abandon faith as soon as they have problems or are are persecuted for believing God's message or as soon as it it gets hard to follow Jesus, um, to live in God's countercultural ways or when God's ways conflict with what we want in our lives. Some can stop following. 
And equally, sometimes the good news of God's kingdom rule, it gets pushed out by the worries of life, of which there are many. Life is sometimes hard, uh, sometimes really hard for a variety of reasons. And these hard things come up against following Jesus and we can be overwhelmed by these hard things such that we fall away from our life of following. We can become distracted by all the things on offer in life which um, compete with following God's kingdom ways. Uh, We can think of things that we know are not good for us, but they're tempting. Or we can think of things that are in themselves not bad, Uh, but which we might use to replace God's activity and God's right place in our lives. Food and sex and work and money and exercise and entertainment and so many other things can be good gifts from God um, to be enjoyed in his world and in our relationship with him. But we know that those things and many more can be things that we look to mistakenly for our for identity, for our purpose, for our comfort, for our security. So as we looked at earlier, um, one side of the coin is that God rules his kingdom. God works by his spirit to transform us, to change us into the people, to transform us from the inside out, to be people who um, live in his ways, who seek God's best design. And God is at work in the world to bring it the goodness he wants for it. But the other side of the coin is that we have a role in those things. We, we have a role, and I want us to, to hear Jesus' words and reflect on our role in the soil of our lives as we encounter God's message to us. So we don't make seeds grow, but we can cooperate with God by tending the soil the soil of our lives, so that the good and godly things can grow. Just as garden soil can be tended, can be made more receptive and more productive uh, and open for the seeds to flourish, we can cultivate in our lives this partnership with God. And for the spirit, so that we see the fruit of the kingdom, how can we cooperate with God to tend our lives to address that, those things which might be hampering the work of God, those things that might be rocks in our soil. We can move towards God's values in our choices, in our attitudes, in our finances, in our behaviors. How can we experience life where God's priorities become more and more our priorities? How can we seek the fruit of God's work in our lives to experience and give love and joy, to have a life which is characterized by peace and patience? How can we move our lives more towards our loyalty to the creator God and in partnership and cooperation with him through the spirit. So where might God be speaking to you today?
do we need to stop striving, working hard, and thinking we're the rightful leader of our lives? Do we need to adjust our view of the world to one where um, God is present and not absent? Where God is for us and not against us? Where we can take comfort that God is powerful and not limited? Do we need to trust God to be at work in the everyday and seemingly small life acts of obedience to him? One side of the coin. Perhaps Spirit is speaking to you about the soil of our lives. Are there things which are hampering God's good work and good fruit from growing in our lives? Can we see rocks in the form of worries or distractions that, that dominate our lives? Do we have rocks where we know God has spoken and we are not obeying, but we're going our own way? Are there aspects of life which are just really hard and it feels like too much to carry on with the life of faith? Are there ways in which we can work with God in tending the soil of our lives?